Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. It's great to be with you today. But boy, there's a lot of snow on the ground. And I really hope and pray that you guys are safe out there, wherever you are. I know that depending on where you're listening to my voice, you have different amounts of snow. Boy, that it was it was something yesterday. This is one of those times where the uh, the anticipation from the weather report was more than fulfilled. <laughs> so, chance on insight, we are going to dig into someone who fulfills our life of prayer, and that's Saint John of the Cross. We're going to dig into his ascent of Mount Carmel and a bit from his dark night of the soul. Back in a minute with Sound Insight. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, we love you and thank you and praise you for the gift of the saints, for the gift of the call we have to grow as disciples. And Lord, I ask for the blessing of... Um, the blessing of the graces that I need and the graces that the dear ones listening to me need to be able to fulfill your call for our lives today. Lord, help us to labor in the vineyard. Help us to be salt, light, and leaven in this world. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. And with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hopefully you remember last week I talked about this is early in the liturgical season of ordinary time, but to highlight the fact that there is no ordinary Christian. There is no ordinary follower of Christ. We are called to an extraordinary path, an extraordinary journey in our lives. And, and so I focus first on the, the gospel. What is the gospel? And then how that gospel is meant to take root in our lives and then shine forth in our conduct. That that's our call. And as part of growing as disciples, as part of understanding that call and living that call, I, I said, you know, why don't I hand on to you books that have been particularly impactful on my own life as a disciple, as I'm a follower of Jesus. Part of part of our responsibility, part of our, our sense of stewardship, brothers and sisters, is that we hand on to others the fruits that we have received. We hand over to others the blessings that have been given to us. That's something that we, uh, you know, like my, two of my daughters that went on mission, they learned so clearly that their lives have been so blessed, so protected from harm, and filled with graces and blessings that it's not because they're special in the eyes of the Lord, somehow different than other people, but rather that was given to them was not only given for them, that the blessings they have of growing up in a Catholic home and being raised in faith and, and then going forth on mission and seeing people in such broken, difficult circumstances, it's an eye-opener. And it can be a spur. It can be a stir. It can move. It moved them. But it, it can be a great movement towards 
not only gratitude and appreciation for what we've been given, but also a sense of stewardship that we're called to hand it on to others so that they might be blessed as well. That sense of stewardship in my own life as regards the gift of the formation that I received, the five years in the seminary, two years in philosophy, then three years in theology at the Gregorian University, as well as just living in Rome. And then the, the ability, the, the gift of being able to study at Catholic University in systematic theology all those years to, to get the PhD. This wasn't, this wasn't about me. This was about a sense of feeling a stewardship, an entrustment, that if the Lord has given me the capacity and the opportunity to study, I should give myself over to that for the sake of others, for the sake of those whom the Lord would put into my life. And a little did I know at that point that here I am now 20 years in to sharing my life of faith, my journey of faith with you on the radio and in other, in other ways, but there's a sense of stewardship. Okay, what was handed on to me wasn't that the Lord said, oh, I love Tom, I want him to go study theology, and he can just pour himself into that. But no, it was it was for you, for you. you and, you know, I, I don't even know who you are, right? I'm talking to you right now, and you're hearing my voice, but I want you to know that, that there's a way in which when the Lord gave me the gift of being able to study St. John of the Cross, who I'm going to talk about today, he had you in mind. He had this moment in mind. He had this radio program, podcast, this this message in mind. He loves you that much that he wants you to receive a blessing from what gets handed on today. And so it, we and this gets all traced back, right? This isn't just me and you. This is like St. John of the Cross, right? He wrote the Ascent of Mount Carmel, not thinking of me or you. He was thinking of the religious sisters of the Discalced Carmelites and the religious brothers of the Discalced Carmelites. Those were the ones that he was thinking about. He had no like, clue that his writings would be elevated, elevated into uh, a visibility and an extensiveness that he's the doctor of prayer. He uh, he spoke and wrote and, and lived this life of prayer so profoundly that the Lord blessed him with these graces, but they weren't just for him. And they even weren't just for the people that he thought they were for. But the Lord blessed him for, for our sake. Okay, that's great for St. John of the Cross. And you can take that for everybody else's writings, everybody else's that that have you know, the great spiritual writers, I mean, right? Saints and, and popes and others who have written documents that have had a legacy, had an impact that, that travels down through the ages. Well, what about your life? What about your life, dear one? Does the Lord have anything for you to hand on to others? Uh, absolutely. The answer is Yes. The, the, the reality of stewardship is not limited to those who write books. It's not limited to those who have a, a quote-unquote, a platform. You have a platform. It's your life. And it's the relationships of those who are around you. So when we and I am talking of and reflecting on the theme of discipleship, following Jesus as a disciple, it's because Jesus Christ intends to shine into your world 
through you. He, you are his hands and feet. You are, you're a servant to the Lord where his gospel is going to shine more brightly in the environments where you are as you go deeper into your call to be a disciple. Well, how do we do that? How do we go deeper into our call? Quickly and simply put, four dimensions of discipleship in terms of formation, in terms of catechesis, the process of making and becoming disciples, right? There's theological formation, the formation of your mind, spiritual formation, the formation of your heart. There's apostolic formation. There's your formation as a disciple being sent forth into the world. And there is communal formation. And we can call that the context where formation happens. So communal meaning not only not only the sacraments where you gather with the assembly in those sacred rituals, but I'm also talking about the fellowship you have with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, we have our own form of that, believe it or not, on the radio. But there's a form of fellowship that happens here. And, and I hope to share in a way that you feel personally addressed. You feel like he's talking to me. Well, today I want to talk to you by handing on to you, as a good steward, the gift of St. John of the Cross. There's no way to hand on to him the book I have in my hands, but I can recommend it. This book is The Collected Works of St. John of the Cross. The Collected Works of St. John of the Cross. The principal translator is Karen Cavanaugh, and uh, he is a Discalced Carmelite. I actually had the privilege of interviewing him one time on this radio program years ago, probably, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago. And, you know, there, there aren't that many interviews where I'm like nervous. <laughs> what am I going to say? Uh, I, I'm going to be exposed, right? Uh, as a, as a phony when it comes to knowing St. John of the cross and, and talking with him with the, like the leading scholar in the English speaking world of, St. John of the Cross and his writings. And he had written um, a couple of books. It was um, books to accompany St. John. And I think St. Teresa was also coming out. And And one of my dearest friends in the world is a Discalced Carmelite. And so he knew him and got me connected. And so I, I, I there's a stewardship right there, stewardship of relationships, right? You stop and think, what's your stewardship? It might be the relationships you have. It might be the, uh, the the finances, the wealth that you have. It might be the uh, again the talents that you're given. It's and it's not just uh, it's not just strictly theological or spiritual talents. No, these are gifts that God gives for uh, the good of the the kingdom, the good of the church, the good of the world on behalf of Christ as His hands and feet. And so uh, today, I want to share with you some insights from. I mentioned the ascent of Mount Carmel right at the beginning of the ascent, as well as I'm going to zero in on um, zero in on the dark night of the soul, a section that I, I, it strikes me as relevant. It, it, well, I have to tell you, it's incredibly humbling. It, it talk about being exposed. You just read John of the Cross, and it's like a bright spotlight that just shines into the core of your being. And uh, just uh, let's just dive in. Let's just get started. So uh, I don't want you to be overwhelmed at the idea of reading St. John of the Cross. It is it, it can be helpful to have an introduction 
to St. John of the Cross. And, and there is an introduction at the beginning of this collected works. I One of the things that was recommended to me as I moved in, into my theological studies was go to the sources, go to the original sources rather than to the interpreters, because if they were that profound, they would be original sources themselves. <laughs> so with that said, if you don't have a guide to help you understand the categories, the language, the context, the uh, situation in which St. John is writing these writings, it is much easier to misunderstand them than to understand them. So I will recommend a book by Thomas Dubay called The Fire Within, um, where he covers the writings of St. John of the Cross and, and probably more St. Teresa of Avila. But uh, uh, that is a rich introduction to the writings of uh, of of St. John of the Cross. There are some specific introductions as well to St. John of the Cross, but let's just, let's stop with there. Let's dive into the text and, and I'll offer some, some guidance myself as we go along. Well, St. John, he, he talks about this ascent of Mount Carmel and he is going to reference along the way these two dark nights, the dark night of the senses and the dark night of the spirit. And that's because of the idea of this journey towards God. And the journey towards God, he identifies as a night, as a dark night. And you and and you say, well, why is the the journey to God a dark night? And why does it involve these dark nights of the senses and of the spirit? And he gives the reason right in chapter two of the ascent. He says that we can offer three reasons for calling this journey toward union with God a night. The first has to do with the point of departure, because the individual must deprive himself of his appetite for worldly possessions. This denial and privation is like a night for all his senses. Okay, what he's doing here is he is mapping out the idea that we are on the way while we are here on earth, we are on the way. It's a Thomistic idea. Thomas didn't make it up, but we are on the way. And if you're on the way, you're that means that you departed from someplace. There, there's a point of departure. That also means that there's a point of arrival. You're on the way somewhere. And, and it also means, guess what? That there's there's a path you're taking. And, and you're at a, a point along that path. So point of departure, there's a path you take, and there's a point of arrival. And so you can see here that he talks about, first of all, this point of departure. And this point of departure, he is going to call the path of the beginners. And unfortunately, when you hear about what defines and, and qualifies someone as a beginner, um, I most of us are beginners in the spiritual journey <laughs> based on John of the Cross's his mapping out of what the journey is uh, and because he's talking about we have to deprive ourselves of worldly possessions. Do you feel like you've done that? Do you feel like you have an appetite for worldly possessions? And we have to deny and experience a privation, a lack of satisfaction in our senses, our senses, right? Sight, uh, sound, uh, seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, and tasting. And we will talk about this. We'll talk about the senses of taste and touch 
later in the program. But as we get launched, it's a it's a humbling thing to realize that many of us are really still in that first stage of the spiritual life, which is this discursive stage of prayer. I just used another word there. I'll explain it. We're up against a break. I'll be back in a minute with John of the Cross. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. It's great to be with you. So today I'm mining the riches that are to be found in St. John of the Cross, but doing so in a way that I'm attempting to hand on to you insights taken from St. John of the Cross to be a blessing to you in your spiritual journey. What St. John of the Cross is doing here at the beginning of the Ascent of Mount Carmel is he's mapping out what will be identified as these three stages of the spiritual life. And these stages are associated with certain spiritual practices, certain forms of prayer, certain experiences. They touch upon certain aspects of the human being. So the first stage is the stage we're talking about, which is this point of departure, is the stage that's focused on our bodily senses. I already mentioned the five bodily senses, but what that means is, is that's going to translate into a particular form of praying. And so St. John will talk about the form of prayer that is mostly associated with the uh, purgative stage. And that's what we're, that's this first stage is called discursive prayer. Discursive prayer is when we talk to God. It's saying prayers out loud. Is that important? Absolutely. Is it something that will accompany us through our lives? Yes, indeed. Is it something that is indicative of the deepest level of prayer? No, it is not. It can touch upon it, but it's not the deepest form of prayer. So often when we're teaching our kids or when we're growing in prayer ourselves, we are taught to uh, speak to God like a friend. Talk to Jesus like he's really there. Talk to the Lord about what's in your heart. Those are beautiful things. Uh, intercede. Uh, give thanks. Petition. These are all forms of discursive prayer where we are having this conversation with God. I, I call it a conversation. We're communicating. We're saying words towards God. And as we grow in this discursive stage of prayer, we'll find that what will happen is that the words we say will become more meaningful. That's the that's the goal. The goal is that we mean what we say. And even more than that, that those words that we say can, can have a depth quality to them. That there can be, uh, let, let, I, I want to use the word, I'm going to use the word emotion, but it's not about being emotional. It's that there is a congruency between the words that I say 
and what I really mean. So a better word might be there's a sense of fervor or unction or a sense of longing, right? Those, those words are associated with prayers that we say to God that become ever more authentic or genuine and ever more profound, but they're still speaking words to God in prayer. So we don't leave it behind, but we don't stop there either. Now, you can say, wait a minute now, I, I, I want to be able to continue to talk to the Lord in my prayer because I'm not sure what else there is. What else is there in, in prayer time besides me talking to God? Well, of course, there's going to be listening to God, right? <laughs> I hope we take time to listen to the Lord. But you can see how hard it is. You can see how hard it is to say, well, if I'm just going to sit here quiet, I feel like I'm doing nothing. And then I got all this noise going on on the inside and then I'm distracted and I might as well start saying some words again. Let me pray a rosary. Now I'm saying the prayers of the rosary, but am I really praying it or am I just saying the words? And this is why this first stage, this stage of the beginners is purgative. When you say purgative, think purgatory, think purging, think cleansing, think Getting things in proper order. Getting our fallen dimension, the dimension of the flesh that is part of our life. Uh, our flesh is not our body. It's, it's the fallen tendencies. It's the tendencies towards sin, the tendencies towards attachments to things of this world that, wait a minute, that what? That when attached... They hold us back from God. If we're attached to the things of this world, then we are held back from being attached to God. Well, this is what St. John unfolds for us in the Ascent of Mount Carmel. He talks about, the, again, this point of departure, and then he says that there's this means on the road that we travel to deeper union with God, and this road is faith, and for the intellect, faith is also a dark night. And, and so that, again, there, there's something about purifying, purifying not only the senses, but as we go deeper, we're going to be purifying the deeper faculties of our lives, uh, of, of our human nature, namely our intellect, our will, our uh, our memory, our imagination, right? These these capacities of our soul, these also have to be purged and cleansed so that they can operate in accord with God's grace. And I'm jumping way ahead there, though. Sorry. And then the last one, the third reason, and this is again John of the Cross giving us a, a simple introduction, pertains to the point of arrival, right? So. We're on the way, brothers and sisters. We've left our point of departure. We're on the way. And then there's where are we headed? Well, namely God. And God is also a dark night to man in this life. And so he says that these nights pass through a soul, or better, the soul passes through them in order to reach divine union with God. And so um, ultimately, this is where we want to go. We want to focus. We want to say, I want to go deeper into my union with God. And so that third stage, that third stage of the spiritual life, as we get to that stage of union, is going to again involve 
a different a different uh, human part of human nature, our spirit and a different form of prayer, which is called contemplation. I didn't mention that the, the second stage is a stage that's called the illuminative stage, and it is associated with using those faculties of our soul, our imagination, our intellect, our memory, and purifying them by being enlightened. We receive God's light in prayer so that we can engage in a different form of prayer, which is meditating. And meditating in a Christian sense means meditating on God's word, meditating on the mysteries of faith, meditating on these truths of our faith, and God enlightens us. It's different than saying words in prayer. Does that make sense? It can be gazing upon a work of art, gazing upon an icon. It can be um, anything that is engaging those deeper faculties, capabilities that we we have as human beings, but as they are purified and matured and exercised and they grow, then we in fact are going deeper into prayer. And so, and, and therefore we're advancing in the spiritual life. We're advancing on this spiritual journey. The last stage is the stage of contemplation. That's the stage of union. That's the unitive way. Again, that journey deeper into union with God. And that's where it's our spirit, the I, the, the I that is the person that I am, that experiences a union with the Lord. And that union with the Lord is expressed through contemplation. Now, contemplation differs from meditation because meditation engages these faculties of the soul. Contemplation does not. Contemplation not only attempts to quiet the senses, seeing, hearing, touch, taste, smell, but also quiet the interior capabilities of, of our human nature, our thinking, our remembering, our imagining. And instead, those are being, again, quieted so that we can be still and know that he is God. Be still and come in a waiting posture for him to unveil his presence and to invite us into a union of love. And that's where St. John is headed in the Ascent of Mount Carmel, along this journey from the purgative through the illuminative to the unitive. Now, unfortunately, he doesn't get there. He doesn't get there in the Ascent of Mount Carmel. The book just stops abruptly, but he does end up writing about the um, the uh, unitive way in the spiritual canticle and the living flame of love. Those are other writings of his that are also found in this collected writings. I am not going to have time to dig into those those writings. I, I've got enough to cover just trying to handle this uh, this introductory thing. Um, let me let me say a couple of things that. He talks about the, um, the the reason for the darkness um, and what he, he says we must go through in order to experience a sense of enlightenment. He says, we are using the expression night to signify a deprival of the gratification of man's appetites in all things. So in all things, that's where that detachment comes in, right? So that can be the senses, that can be the interior faculties, that can be the spirit. 
all of those, we have to experience a denial of gratification. And he says, just as night is nothing but the privation of light and consequently of all objects visible by means of the light, darkness and emptiness then for the faculty of sight, the mortification of the appetites can be called a night for the soul. To deprive oneself of the gratification of the appetite in all things is like living in darkness and in a void. The eye feeds upon its objects by means of light in such a way that when the light is extinguished, the eye no longer sees them. Similarly, does a man by means of his appetite feed and pasture on worldly things that gratify his faculties? When the appetites are extinguished or mortified, he no longer feeds upon the pleasure of these things but lives in a void and in darkness with respect to his appetites. All right. That's profound. And it it's surprising. And it's something that I think is foreign to, to most of us, especially if we've grown up in, let's say, just contemporary American society and American life. Because... Our day-to-day existence is often filled with one after the other attempts to get us to experience a sense of pleasure and gratification. Let's just call it gratification of our senses. That it's pleasing to my eyes. It's pleasing to my ears. It's pleasing to touch. It's pleasing to taste. It's pleasing to smell. And the idea of depriving ourselves of the things that are part of our lives that we experience these gratifications in, it seems it, it seems like, well, is this healthy? Is this, is this good? How, how is this somehow connected to my life of faith? What does this have to do with my relationship with God? I feel like I can be better about my relationship with God if, in fact, I have a degree of satisfaction or gratification in, in my being, right, in my day-to-day life, because then I can, I can focus. I can focus. John of the Cross would say, you're missing out. You're missing out because you're making a mistake. And the mistake is that what you're talking about as gratifying these senses is actually leading you to a type of slavery, a type of bondage. Wow. He'll use the word attachment, but as you as you wait and see, as I, I continue to talk about some of these passages, it's going to speak really strong medicine to us about our need to let go of some of the things that we are so attached to. So, uh, you might have heard on Monday, I felt this call to undertake a, a water fast again. I am not recommending to any of you to do this apart from uh, get medical clarification and get uh, a good program in order and get people around you who will accompany you to be able to make sure that you're doing this in a healthy way. Like I'm drinking water that has electrolytes and potassium and sodium and magnesium in it so that I get the minerals I need, even if I'm just drinking water, 
right? So, um, so it's something that uh, you you feel a call to, and it's something that you can make a, a a decision and say, Lord, please, this is something that I desire to do, right? So, um, but in doing this, guess what it is revealing? What is so revealing is my attachment to food, my attachment to, well, they say, no, wait a minute. You're attached to food, Tom, because you need nutrients in order to live. Yeah, I, I don't mean that. You, you know what I mean. Come on. I'm talking about how easy it is to just settle for eating dainty things, enjoyable things, pleasing things to the point where I'm not just eating what is sufficient for me but I'm eating until I'm completely satisfied and completely satisfied with food. That's probably not that good for me, right? The amount of sugar, the amount of, uh, of unhealthy carbs, uh, that, that are, are present. It, it, you know, it is debilitating, but do we realize how debilitating it is until we have sought out the purging, the purgation, do we realize the negative effects? You don't have to wait any longer. After the break, I'm going to tell you what John of the Cross says about it. All right, welcome back to the program. You better buckle up now because it's going to get real. It's going to get real Uh the exposure of our spiritual beginner state. Uh, just read the Ascent of Mount Carmel, chapter 25, in book three, book three, chapter 25. And this is just, I'm not even going to get through a, a page and a half. Okay, this is the harm incurred by the desire for joy of will in sensory goods. So this is us to do again with our five senses and the goods that come into our lives, that touch our lives, impact our lives through our senses. So let's take a look at the harm that John of the Cross identifies as connected with these, uh, uh, this finding a joy, find, taking joy in sensory goods. He says, in the first place, all, all the kinds of harm born other types of joy spring from the, this joy in sensory goods. If it is not darkened and quelled through direction to God. Okay. So that's that, again, that purging and ordering of our will where we would find joy in God and not in other things that come to us through the senses. He says, these kinds of harm are, for example, obscurity of reason lukewarmness, spiritual tedium, etc. Like, well, of course, etc. But even just hearing that obscurity of reason, we're not clear thinking when we are attached to, uh, sp uh, to sensory goods. Uh, lukewarmness. Wow. It means we're not committed. It means we're sluggish. It means that we are uh, finding our, our sense of just giving half effort and then spiritual tedium. Wow. Did you ever even hear that phrase before that, uh, that that's a harm that comes to us. In fact, you think about the lack of zeal that that that's probably a mark of our time 
is a lack of zeal for the Lord and for his kingdom. That uh, we are so quick to temper and measure how much we would give of ourselves, our time, our energy, our attention, our focus, our effort, our, our resources to the Lord, to, to his church, to things that are, uh, are, are being attacked that are from God. All right. So, uh, but in particular, he says, there are many types, spiritual and corporeal or sensory, which can be directly incurred through this joy. First, he said, he says, and he's going to go right down through the five senses. He says, first, through failure to deny for God joy in visible objects. Okay, so there's the first one, sight. The, the, the failure to deny for God the joy we take in visible objects, like the joy we take in a sunset, a beautiful garden. How about even just looking upon an event that is happening in the life of our kids? Uh, a sporting event, uh, or looking around at our house uh, in the way that it's decorated, or other things that are delightful to the eyes, things that you find you you really take joy in. Oh, I enjoy looking at these things. He says that the following evils result directly, namely vanity of spirit, mental distraction, inordinate covetousness, indecency. Interior and exterior discomposure, impurity in thought, and envy. Wow. <laughs> like, John, man, you're not holding back. You're identifying like something that we'd think, oh, really, how much harm could there be? This seems so innocent, especially if we're looking at things that are created by God. Like these, these are good things. What why are why are all these evils, vanity of spirit, mental distraction, inordinate covetousness, indecency, interior and exterior, discomposure, impurity in thought and envy. And you know what? He goes into all of them. He breaks all of this open later. But he just is identifying the list. And he means things by them. That's the, that's the astounding thing. Is that he's not just stringing words together. He can draw a line between the way that we take pleasure in the visible objects that are around us in life or the visible things that are around us, people, events, situations, realities that are around us in life, and vanity, covetousness, envy, uh, uh, distraction, indecency, all these things, right? Okay, second, uh, joy in hearing useless things gives direct rise. Okay, now you step, what do you spend your time listening to? <laughs> and, and for him, remember now, he doesn't have the internet. He doesn't have the internet regarding things that you see. And oh boy, when you talk about indecency, discomposure, impurity, those things come from what you're looking at. Yeah, let's just say the right answer is yes. Let's just say that the right answer is yeah, spot on. And that was 500 years ago. All right, joy in hearing useless things. And remember, he's talking to uh, he's talking to cloistered religious men and women, priests and sisters and brothers. And let's just say they're not spending a lot of time talking. 
But he talks about joy in hearing useless things, gives direct rise to, are you ready? Distraction of the imagination, gossiping, envy, uncertain judgments, and wandering thoughts, followed by many other pernicious kinds of harm. And so you stop and think, do I have any discretion or any sense of boundary that I put up around what I'm listening to and the impact that that can have? Uncertain judgments? Really? Wandering thoughts? Of course. Distraction of the imagination. Stuff we're taking in feeds our imagination. It can distract us away from godly things to be reflecting on and imagining. All right. Uh, let's let's get to, to smell. Joy in sweet fragrance foments. This one, get ready. This is going to get real again. Joy in sweet fragrance. And boy, who doesn't enjoy sweet fragrance? Right? Whether it's perfume or cologne or, again, sweet fragrances in the in the air flowers and trees and bushes and and uh the other the other beautiful fragrances that are just part of nature as well as of food right but joy in sweet fragrance fragrance foments disgust for the poor wow he's right he is absolutely right Disgust for the poor, which is contrary to Christ's doctrine. And then he goes on. Aversion for servants. Unsubmissiveness of heart in humble things. And spiritual irresponsiveness, at least in the measure of the appetite. Did you ever even hear that? Spiritual irresponsiveness? a lack of responding in the spirit to what God's asking of us, that comes from taking too much joy in sweet fragrance that we find in our daily lives. But boy, let's start with the first one. First one is disgust for the poor. And then you can add in aversion for servants. Well, why? Well, the answer is they don't smell nice. Back then at the time, but then let me just say it. If If you've ever done any work out on the streets, if you've done any work in uh, homeless shelters or soup kitchens, it is abundantly clear that there is an odor and it is not attractive. It's repulsive. And let's translate that into what St. John of the Cross is saying, is that if you find yourself taking too much delight too quickly in the smells of your life, the smells that are around you, you will find yourself disgusted by the poor. And remember, Jesus is found in the poor. It's directly contrary to Christ's doctrine. He says it. And aversion for servants. If servants are not able to bathe every day or have scented shampoo and, and uh, uh, you know, deodorant, right? all these different things. I mean, wow. St. John of the Cross, you are challenging us. You are really, you know, causing us to say, what, what am I doing if I'm not willing to 
undergo a purging of my senses, a deprivation of finding satisfaction in my senses. Like we are being held back spiritually because of these things. So says St. John of the Cross, and he is the doctor of prayer. Right, I'm up against the break. When I come back, I'm going to hit the hardest one in the last section of the program in a minute. Welcome back to the program. All right. I am still in book three of chapter 25 of book three of the Ascent of Mount Carmel by St. John of the Cross. I'm not going to get to the dark night of the soul. I'm sorry. But you don't worry. There's some rich food here, (laughs) spiritual food for you, even though it's going to talk about the delight we take in food. Uh, So I'm going to talk about taste and touch. I said the last one. I actually meant the last two. But they're connected. They're connected. Um, And so let's talk about joy and the delight of food. All right. Is that you? Yeah, that's me. Not even a question. Popcorn. I could give you like my top 10 foods. I delight in those foods way more than I delight in other things. And my body shows it. But St. John of the Cross, he is not focused on the body here. Listen to what he has to say about the joy we take in the delights of food. He says it directly engenders gluttony and drunkenness. Okay, well, I guess that speaks to the tendencies that I've had, the gluttony, not the drunkenness. But um, And then joy and delight of foods directly, directly engenders, directly fosters. It sows these seeds in our lives. Are you ready? Anger, discord, and a lack of charity towards one's neighbor and the poor. Wow. Now, why would we get angry? Why would we experience discord by finding joy in the delights of food? Well, it's not that complicated. It's what happens when we don't find food delightful, when we find the food we eat unpalatable, disgusting, when we are disappointed. Well, we get angry. We cause discord. We speak up. And I actually remember this. It's so funny. I was, again, I was in Rome. I was at the North American College. I was, so I was a seminarian at the time. And uh, we would have pranzo lunch served up every day. And at lunch, there was wine on the table and water. And there would be a, uh, there was a salad you could get. And then there was a pasta plate. And then there was a meat plate. And then there was some kind of dessert, uh, either fruit or some other kind of dessert every day. (laughs) That was lunch. Lunch was the main meal in Italy. And I remember so distinctly this time when they brought the food out, they brought out the pasta and it was complaint, complaint, complaint. I can't believe it. This is ridiculous. My diocese pays good money for me to be here. I deserve better than this. This is terrible. And I just, I remember being like, really taken aback by it. Like, what, what is your problem, man? You should be just grateful that you have food and this is fine. What are you talking about? Well, it's, 
he wasn't getting joy in the delight of the food. And so, you know what? He was angry. He was going to be discordant. And well, we don't really quickly think about this, but a lack of charity towards one's neighbor and the poor, where did that come from? Well, he's actually referencing a parable of Jesus, as in the case of Lazarus and the rich man who ate sumptuously each day. He's drawing a connection there. You eat sumptuously each day, you're not going to be very sensitized to the plight of those who are hungry, even around you in your life. That did not work out well for the rich man. The rich man did not end up in a good place. Accordingly, there arise bodily disorders. John of the Cross continues. He says, infirmities and impure movements due to increasing incentives of lust. Wow. So if you are unwilling to restrain yourself regarding accessing the joys of food, of taste, you will find that you will have an increased urging towards lust and lustful desires. Wow. Again, uh, we, we can hear about, oh, it's important to fast to help battle against um, the, the desires of the flesh. But John of the Cross is spelling it out here. He's connecting it to an even more like refined and detailed degree. He says, a decided spiritual torpor is directly engendered, and the desire for spiritual things is so spoiled that one finds no satisfaction in them and is unable to discuss or take part in them. Distraction of the other senses and of the heart and discontent over many things are also born of this joy. Wow. Again, it, this doesn't this just make you stop and say, that's what's at stake in how I relate to steak? <laughs> that's what's at stake in how I relate to food? That's what's at stake in, in how I will seek after a certain type of joy in the taste of the foods and eating tasty foods that are part of my life. Charlie Cross is saying, this is going to bring about an attachment in your life that will yield negative impacts. You're not going to be advancing in this spiritual journey if you, in fact, allow yourself to settle for this. Do you wonder why our Catholic faith is so weak in America these days? Some of it has to do with the pleasure we take, the joy we take in foods. So says St. John of the Cross. All right. But there's more. This is the last one. This is the hardest one. And it's enjoyment in the touch of soft objects. Wow. He, he has more to say about this one than about sight and sound and smelling and tasting. It's touch where he puts his strongest caution. Enjoyment in the touch of soft objects foments more numerous and more pernicious kinds of harm, and by it, the senses more quickly pervert the spirit and extinguish its strength and vigor. The consequence is the abominable vice of effeminacy or incentives toward it 
in proportion to this kind of joy. All right. It extinguishes strength and vigor of our spiritual lives and quickly perverts it. Wow. All because I want to sit in a comfortable chair, be clothed in really comfortable, soft clothes, sleep on the most comfortable mattress, walk around in the most comfortable shoes, uh, live in a very warm, comfortable environment, right? All of these are enjoyment in the touch of soft objects. Oh, you know, <laughs> it's just like, oh, it's like rub this blanket, this pillow, this is like, John of the Cross said, guys, wake up. You are going to end up Experiencing effeminacia, right? Remember now, we, I've talked about effeminacia. Effeminacia in, in Aquinas is the uh, this desire for what is soft, comfortable, and easy, rather than what is hard or difficult and requires sacrifice. But let me continue. I want to make sure I get through the rest of this. He says that this joy foments lust. It makes the spirit unmanly and timid, and the senses flattering, honey mouth, disposed towards sin and the causing of harm. It pours vain gladness and mirth into the heart, uh, into the heart, engenders license of the tongue and freedom of the eyes, and brings on ravishment and stupefaction of the other senses according to the intensity of the appetite. It confounds the judgment nurturing it on spiritual incipience and stupidity and morally engenders cowardice and inconstancy. And by this darkness of soul and weakness of heart, it makes one fear where there's no reason for fear. This joy sometimes begets the serious, the spirit of confusion and unresponsiveness of conscience and spirit since it seriously debilitates reason and reduces it to such a state that one knows not how either to take counsel or to give it, and it leaves the soul incapable of moral and spiritual blessings as useless as a broken jar. That was one paragraph in St. John of the Cross about enjoyment in the touch of soft objects and the dangers that it engenders. My brothers and sisters, this is like pure gold. It's like, why do we spend our time reading other stuff when this kind of gold is available to us to nurture our spiritual lives, to correct us, to help lead us on a path to going deeper, to truly advance? I hope and pray this has been a blessing to you. I am out of time. Join me tomorrow for more Sun Insight.